Good morning, Living Waters. Good morning. Hey, there we go. All right. We got some. I usually, I'll say it a couple times. That way I can get everybody in, mostly, anyway. Everybody's enjoying, enjoying the time outside the tent. Good morning. Glad to have you here this morning at Tent Church. Uh, who's loving this weather? Yeah, yeah, so do I. This is great. Uh, the humidity is down, nice and cool. We can put the flannels on for a little bit. Loving it. Anyway, if this is your first time visiting here, we want to give you a special welcome. Uh, over by Chelsea, there's a QR code. There's a coffee mug. We'd love to give it to you. Um, also, I've got a QR code here. Love just get your information, be able to connect with you uh, sometime throughout the week. Um, so thank you for coming. Thank you for visiting here, Living Waters. Uh, quick reminder about nursery and what's going on inside of the building. So in the building is nursery. If you have kids that need to use the restroom during the service, just take them into the building when you go. Uh, don't just send them off on their own. Otherwise, that's a huge distraction for all the nursery kids in there. Uh, church offices are closed tomorrow in observance of Memorial Day. So they'll pick back up on Tuesday for regular ministry times. And then a uh, save the date for VBS, VBS, July 19th through the 23rd. Julie has her table with all that colorful stuff over there. Make sure you get signed up to help volunteer or you can give uh, to help out uh, for VBS. So there's also a QR code to be able to scan and, and uh, get signed up there. Don't forget, on the Church Center app, check out more things to sign up for. You have volleyball, golf, kids basketball, and more. We don't pass a plate around here. We have offering boxes over uh, there by Pastor Biddle um, if you'd like to give. Or you can give online at uh, thechurchcenter.com slash giving. Uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Um, we would like to just take a moment of silence and remember those who have gone before us and uh, paid the life sacrifice for us and our freedoms that we enjoy one of which we're enjoying here this morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, so let's just take a moment of, of uh, silence here. All right. Praise the Lord for those who have gone before us and just continue to remember them throughout the weekend and just take time to remember those who have served. Um, and we have to take time to remember, right? Because we easily forget. As humans, right, we forget things very easily. And today as we begin, as we worship the Lord through song and through the hearing of his word, just a couple things. I'm going to read a couple verses out of Psalm 78. And before I do that, I also want to say thank you for all the prayers. We have baby Hadassah at home, all right? We had a baby last week, or she's about 10 days old now. Days are blurring together, all right? But Natalie and the baby are doing great, and I just want to thank the many of you who have prayed, and all of you who have just, man, we've been humbled by the generosity of our church, and just the blessing of the people who have provided food, and so many other things for this past week, and Especially my kids, thank you, so they didn't have to live off of my cooking, all right? 
All right, but thank you so much. We are so grateful for everything that you guys have done. And just reflecting on having another newborn at home, I just wanted to read these verses from Psalm 78. Again, thinking of how easily we forget. In Psalm 78, verse 4, it's talking about the, the word of the Lord. And it says, We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord in his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that we would never forget all that God has done, and all that he continues to do, and not only remember ourselves, but to tell it to our children. And that is our responsibility, so that we can all continue to set our hope in God and to set our hope in Jesus Christ because he will never fail. Amen. Let's stand. And as we stand, let's pray together and then we'll start in with our singing. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, thank you for this time that we can come together and worship you in song and worship you through your word, Lord. I just pray for clarity. May our hearts be transformed this morning more into the likeness of your son. And um, God, we just thank you so much for a love that will never fail us, Lord. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we may have troubled hearts this morning and God, we know we can come to you and trust you this morning and knowing that, again, you'll never leave us nor forsake us and your love is always there and always consistent. And we thank you and we give the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
second. I broke a string. Man. We don't need it. We don't have to do that. It's going to be a little awkward, but we'll make it work. God's good. One, two, three, four. Through my heart. 
amazing grace God we we're amazed Lord at what you're doing and who you are and God we pray that you would keep everybody warm this morning and we pray that you would speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit may your word activate inside of us and may we leave this church service different than the way we came in and God may you visit us with the mighty power of your son the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning. Yes. I was joking around with the first service. Like the only thing we need is co hot coffee, hand warmers, and the Holy Spirit. I think that's probably pretty accurate. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And instead of doing a traditional scripture reading, this summer we're doing a new series in the Psalms called the Songs of the Summer. And so we're going to be in Psalm 73 all the way to Psalm 150, select Psalms, every Psalm all summer long. So we have some of those on audio. So we have Kristen Getty, who's actually going to be uh, reading the scriptures for us. She's a famous Christian music maker, and she's from Ireland, so she says you, really cool, you, you know. So Psalm 73, she's going to read Psalm 73, so if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, go ahead and open it to Psalm 73, and we'll listen as the scriptures are read for us this morning. Let's go ahead and listen. Book 3, Psalm 73. A Psalm of Asaph Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. 
all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream, when one awakes, O Lord, when you rise yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen and amen for the reading and hearing of God's word. So my opening question to you this morning is, have you ever been disappointed with God? As you look at the success of someone else not named you, okay? As you look at the success of somebody not you, have you then been disappointed with God in your heart and mind? Well, the obvious answer is yes, that has happened to all of us. And if you say, Pastor, I, I am really spiritual and I'm always happy when everybody else succeeds and I fail, you are a liar. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Of course you've been disappointed with God at times in your life when you've looked around and it seems like everybody else is successful, everybody else is healthy and wealthy and wise, and I am not. That is a wrestling with God. Certainly in the last 12 months, all you have to do in our culture is look at who won and who lost and see elation or devastation. And people have been very disappointed with things in our culture. Some people have been elated with things in our culture. But the whole point of this is sometimes all of those things come back to God's feet. Where we honestly say, God, I'm disappointed, not in man, but mainly I think I'm disappointed in you for allowing these things to happen. Well, welcome to Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is a psalm written by Asaph, who is a music director. So this is, if you're going to try to remember this psalm, 
This is the psalm of Brandon Hebron. Amen? Asaph is a worship leader. He's a music leader inside of Israel. And so you can almost picture Brandon or a music leader writing these words of Psalm 73. And he is really struggling in his walk with God. So he's writing the psalm and he's, he's getting ready to sing in front of all these people, the nation of Israel, and he's struggling inside. And he's struggling with what he is seeing. He's seeing other people have success. He's seeing non-Christians, non-believers have success. And he's upset about that. So we wrestle with God in much the same way today. When we're disappointed, God, you really let me down. That disappointment is a wrestling match with God. And what you need to know from Psalm 73 is that the wrestling match is a process. It is a process that God takes us through. And so the process of wrestling with God is the five F's. I'm going to give you the five F's of wrestling with God. I did not misspeak, okay? I'm giving you the five F's, and I had to Google good F words on Google to get my outline. I needed a couple bad F words too, but I did not Google that. Did not. That would have been really bad. But uh, the process of wrestling with God in Psalm 73 is going to come down to five F words, okay? And that's the process by which we're going to lay this out. The five F's of wrestling with God. F number one is foundation. Foundation. Okay, verse 1, truly God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. So Asaph starts his psalm by saying God is good. This is the foundation of his wrestling match with God. So before he gets into all the other things, he's going to start with God, this is who you are, and this is what you say, and these are the promises that you give. Now, do you think Asaph felt that emotionally? Now, I'm going to argue that he, in this context of struggle and wrestling with God, he didn't really emotionally feel great about that particular verse. He didn't come in saying, okay, I'm going to sing this with all my heart and I'm going to feel it and I'm going to smile about it. I think his emotions were way left and he was way right, right? And he was thinking, you know what? I'm just reckoning this as true. And this is a good note for us. The foundation of our wrestling matches with God, when we're, when we're struggling with God and disappointed, the foundation is that we need to start with what is true about God. Okay? So Christian, when you're starting your struggle, don't just launch into all your complaints with God. Start with God. This is who you say you are. We as Christians cannot live by our emotions. We need to live by truth. Can I get a witness? So when you start your disappointments, make sure you got the right foundation laid where you are acknowledging, whether you believe it or not, you're acknowledging the good character of who God is. So that's foundation. That's F number one. Wrestling with God always starts with a foundation. If you don't have a foundation, you're in big trouble. Be careful where you go, because if your foundation is not there, only trouble is ahead. So F number two is frustration. So we had foundation, now we have frustration, and this is verses 2 through 12. 
But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then verses 4 through 12 is a long list of all the good things that pagans have. They have no pain in death, they're fat and sleek, they have no trouble, they're not stricken like the rest of mankind, pride is their necklace. Their eyes swell up with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. You get the picture, right? The psalmist is basically saying they have nothing bad going on in their life. So Asaph is looking and he's being really honest in his, in his um, complaint to God. He's saying, I am envious of these non-Christians. Now, the word envious means I'm jealous I am jealous of the arrogant. The wicked sinners around me, I'm jealous of them. Now, you have to appreciate the honesty, right, of the psalm leader. That would be like Brandon getting up here, and he's getting ready to sing. He's like, hey, before I go, I'm going to just tell you this is what's going on with my life. You'd be shocked first, and then second, you'd be like, well, at least I appreciate the genuineness, right, of the moment. So he's saying, I'm envious of these wicked sinners these people all around, all around this world. And then he lays out 13 characteristics of these wicked people and how they're prospering. Now, the observation of the psalmist is simplistic, it's non-scientific, and it's outward. Now, frustration is what you feel in verses 2 through 12. You know that the psalmist is frustrated. Now, have you, as a Christian, ever been frustrated by your outward, simplistic observations of other people's success? Have you ever been frustrated before? Can I get a witness? Can I get a frustrated amen? Okay. Because we live in the same world that the psalmist lives in. We observe things and we just immediately jump to conclusions. So how about these for some frustrating observations that happen in our lives every day? Okay, first observation. Her hair is so perfect. Now as a guy, I never say that, amen? I don't, I don't care. But with ladies, I, I've heard through the grapevine and the rumor mill that y'all say that about each other's hair. What about this one? family, looking at other family, saying their family is so perfect. What about this one? They're always so successful in what they do. Like every single thing that person touches is gold. It's, it's good every single time. What about this one? They have lots of money. I just know it. If I could only get access to their bank account, it'll prove I'm right. We think that stuff. We think, oh, they wear such nice clothes all the time. I wish I wore nice clothes all the time. He's got the newest car. She's got perfect health. They just got a new house. All these observations are inner dialogue that goes on in our minds all the time because we are wicked sinners that are broken. So we're thinking about this stuff all the time, and here's the biggest lie of them all that we say to ourselves. I'll bet you they don't have any problems. <laughs> 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 
It's like leave it to beaver over there in their house. You see, we say these lies to ourselves because we're like Psalm 73. We're like Asaph. We just take quick glances at people's lives and we say, they've got it all together. They don't even go to church. They don't even know Jesus. And they just seem to have it all. Why can't I have it all? I'm frustrated by that. Have you ever um, heard about Habakkuk and Jonah in the Old Testament? They had a lot of this going on in their lives. Jonah. You guys remember him in chapter 3? He's the prophet, didn't even want to go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh, preaches. Everybody responds to his preaching. Everybody repents. Everybody gets right with God. It's this amazing outbreak of revival. And where is Jonah? Up on top of a hill, stewing. He's angry. He's just sitting there, just ticked off. Like, I can't believe they responded so great to my preaching. Ah, you know, and he's frustrated. Like that preacher needs to get his head examined, amen? If, if a preacher has, has all these people responding to his preaching in a good way, that, by, that guy better be doing the tap dance on top of the hill. And Jonah's just saying like, God, I knew it. I'm so disappointed in you, God, saving people, forgiving people. And he said, I knew you would do this. I knew you're merciful. I knew you're gracious. I knew you're kind. I knew you would forgive all the Ninevites. Have you ever heard of Habakkuk? Habakkuk's a lesser-known prophet, but in his chapter 1 of his letter, he's complaining the Babylonians are coming down, they're pagans, they're strong armies, they're coming down, they're ripping God's people out of the land, and all this stuff is happening. God's people are suffering, and Habakkuk is just like, God, how long am I going to cry out to you, and, and you don't listen. I mean, you don't even listen to me. Look at all the stuff that's happening to our culture. Look what's happening to our cities. Life stinks. This it's terrible. Oh, it's Brandon. Okay, I didn't know who that was. You never know who's behind me here. I just never know. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, Forrest Gump. But Habakkuk is crying, and he's frustrated, and he you can feel his frustration, and God has to correct the prophet and say, look, you think all is lost? You wouldn't believe what I'm doing. If you could see behind the scenes where I see spiritually, I'm doing a work that you wouldn't believe if you could see it. So look, believer, you should expect to be frustrated with God when you look around. Can I just have a real moment with you as a preacher? You should expect as a Christian, for not everything's going to be butterflies and rainbows in your Christian life. There will be times when you see things happening that you are just like, I don't get it. I'm frustrated, God, with what I see because everybody else seems to be having success except for me, and I'm frustrated. It's okay to be frustrated, but it's not okay to stay frustrated. If you're in Christ, God is moving you through a process. That wrestling match is a process. Start with your foundation. Express your frustration. The five F's of wrestling with God are foundation, frustration, and now third, fruitlessness. Fruitlessness. And this is verse 13 through 16. Asaph says in verse 13, All in vain, all in vain I have kept my heart clean. I've washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken, I have been rebuked every morning. And if I said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of my, our children. 
But when I thought about how to understand all of this stuff, it seemed to me to be a wearisome task. So Asaph is saying all in vain, which is basically his way of saying, this is all for nothing. I'm having a pity party. It's all worthless. It's all empty. All these efforts I've made to walk with God, to love God, to sacrifice my life for God, everything I'm doing is fruitless. It's worthless. Okay? He's looking around and he's seeing the success of everybody else and he's looking at his own life and saying, I don't see any fruit. I don't see the tangible benefit of showing up to church again. Why do I have to keep doing this? Giving my time, my talent, my skill. I've heard this so many times over the years from Christians as a pastor and as a counselor where Christians will say, Pastor, I'm not sure if it's worth it. Did you know following Jesus is hard? Can I get an amen? It's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to like do the things he wants you to do. It's hard to stick with it when you're laying down your life for Christ and you are getting nothing in return. You're not seeing anything. Um, You might get the attitude that it's not fair. It's not fair. And then Asaph says something really interesting. It's in verse 16. He said, when I tried to understand this, it was a wearisome task. Which basically means when I try to wrap my mind around this, my head hurts trying to make sense of what I see. Okay, so think about this, this way. You're here on a holiday weekend. Are you ready to play your violin? Look at me. I'm here singing with Brandon. I'm listening to a very mediocre preacher. Amen? This is very hard and difficult. I have to like open my Bible and identify myself as a Christian and take two hours out of my morning to like worship Jesus. This is so hard. The boat is calling my name. The golf course is saying, Josh, just come to me. Come to me now. All my recreation and my plans and my dreams, I got to put it aside. And it seems like I do the Jesus thing week after week. And sometimes I'm looking and I'm like, I just don't know if it's all there. It feels very fruitless. You should expect to feel fruitless in your Christian life at times. I'm speaking truth to you, Christian. That's how it is. You have to gut it through because it is hard and you're not alone. Elijah, he wanted God to kill him in the wilderness after the largest victory at Mount Carmel. And, and he was sitting there in the wilderness in 1 Kings 19, right after that situation, saying, God, Jezebel is so mean. She's a mean lady. I've been so faithful to you, God. I just won Mount Carmel. I was, spo- I was supposed to come in Jerusalem and we were supposed to win and the kingdom of God was supposed to come in through my victory and now I'm here in the wilderness and it's better if I would just die. Fruitless. It wasn't that Elijah was fruitless. He just felt fruitless. What about John the Baptist? dynamic baptizer. He's baptizing thousands of people in the Jordan River. And then he gets to the place right before his head gets chopped off by Herod. He reaches out to Jesus and he says, hey, are you really the one? Or It's like, 
Are we supposed to look for another one? I thought the Savior, Messiah thing was going to be like kingdom and strength and like I'm about ready to die and get my head chopped off and you don't look like you're winning, Jesus. So fruitless. At times you're going to feel that, but that's part of the wrestling match of your Christian growth. The five F's of wrestling with God are foundation, frustration, fruitlessness, and number four is the flip. The flip, verses 17 through 22. I felt this way until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you have set them in slippery places and you've made them to fall, to ruin. You're destroying them in a moment, swept away by utter terrors. You despise them as phantoms. So verse 17 is the transition moment of the psalm. Where Asaph comes to his senses and he says, you know what? It all seemed frustrating and fruitless until I went into the sanctuary of God. When I got to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned the end of those people I was envying. So, so basically what God did was he flipped Asaph to a different direction. Okay, Asaph was here, frustrated and fruitless, and then all of a sudden God flips him, turns him around, and what was the turnaround moment? The turnaround moment was the sanctuary, being in God's presence, because all of a sudden being in God's presence with God's people turned Asaph's attitude around. And once he got his attitude turned around, it was good. So getting into God's presence is what we need just like Asaph of old, to flip our minds around and get us going the opposite direction. So, can I get a witness that church is probably the best place for you to be if you're down? Amen? Come on now. You got to testify a little bit this morning. Church is the best place for you to be when you're down. Can I get an amen? amen. Hey, there we go. All right. All right. There we go. Why do I say that? Because this is the place where we get to see God. Amen? Very uniquely, we get to feel God here. I get to see your face, you get to see mine. We get to see each other. We get to be encouraged by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the people of God. So when you're down, your flesh is going to say, be frustrated, be fruitless, and stay away from church. God is going to say the opposite. God's going to say, if you really want to flip your mind upside down and go the opposite direction, get your hind parts to church. Amen. It's in the Hebrew, hind parts. It's there. <laughs> because when you get into the sanctuary of God, you begin to see where Jesus is, that Jesus actually has won the battle, not the world. Amen? Jesus won it at the cross, and he resurrected from the dead. And there will be a day when all of the people who are arrogantly walking away from God, they will stand before the living God, give an account of themselves, and if they don't know Jesus, they're going to be on the wrong side of history. And we in Christ, when we begin to see the bigger picture of our lives and eternity, we understand God wins. Jesus wins, and I'm with Jesus. Amen. So therefore, I flip. My mind flips to the gospel. For some of you, you need to get saved and meet Jesus this morning because you haven't met him yet and you're on the opposite side of the winning side. Jesus is going to win. In case you need a spoiler of how the Bible finishes, 
Jesus is going to win. And if you know Jesus, you are on the winning side, so you might as well flip your mind now towards the sanctuary of God. So God's presence will flip your feelings from bad to good. God's word will flip your mind from toxic to healthy. God's promises will flip your attitude from sour to sweet. And God's people will flip your assumptions from surface to depth. And God's son, the Lord Jesus, will flip the direction of your life from hell to heaven. So, once Asaph gets this in verse 17 and 18, the whole psalm changes because he's in a good spot and he says, okay, I'm flipping my mind and I'm going this direction. So, the five F's of wrestling with God are foundation, frustration, fruitlessness, and then the flip. And then F number five is friendship. Friendship. Verses 23 through 28. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me up to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then in verse 28, Asaph says, but for me it is good to be near God. So Asaph, as he's flipped his mind around, he's finding that he's saved by God, and that salvation equals into a friendship with God. Okay, it, once you change your mind, isn't it amazing how quickly God becomes your friend? When you change your mind, when Asaph changes his mind, all of a sudden friendship with God is the thing that he sees. So he says many things about friendship here. God is a friend because he holds his right hand, verse 23. He guides him with counsel, verse 24. And then he strengthens his heart, verse 25. So God look, Asaph looks at God and he's like, God, you're my friend. Like you're helping me, you're counseling me, you're holding my hand, you're strengthening my heart. This is an amazing thing. We're friends. Isn't that what friends do for one another, by the way? Friends hold each other's hands. Now I know, ladies, you're more prone to hold your friend's hand, right, publicly. Like I'm going to hold your hand, we're going to get through this, sweetheart, this is going to happen, right? We're going to do this together. Guys who are friends, we don't hold each other's hands as we go through the trial with a friend. We might do a fist bump, punch in the shoulder. Good job, man. Way to go. Way to get through that. But the idea is there that we're holding each other through the situation. That's what friends do for one another. They give each other counsel. That's what friends do. Friends give each other counsel. You have a late night coffee with a friend and a two-hour conversation to help you get through what you're walking through. And, and basically, this, this characteristic of friendship, this nearness, friends are near one another. If you're not a friend, you're not near. If you are a friend, you're near your friends. And Asaph is saying, God is now my friend. As I flip my mind around, God is eager to be my friend, to be near me. And this friendship is what carries us through life. Asaph said, it's good for me to be near God. 
The Net Bible says it this way. But as for me, God's presence is all that I need. So my question for you as we go into the communion table is if you had a friendship with God and that's all you had, is that enough for you this morning? And what I mean more specifically is if Jesus were all you had, is he enough for you? By faith, you can say yes to that. You may not always feel that, but here's the question. If something like Job happened to you, all your earthly possessions are gone, your house burns down, your apartment burns down, your car gets stolen, your friends and family die, and you are left there and you are inflicted with cancer, and you are there and that's all you have is Jesus. Is Jesus enough for you in the moment? Only you can answer that question. And for some of you, the friendship of God is the only thing that you're clinging to, and that's a praise to Jesus. Most of us in life, isn't it true that God just twists and turns our life story (laughs) in such a way where he's like, yeah, you're going to stop leaning on that, you're going to stop leaning on that, you're going to stop leaning on that, and all of a sudden it's you and Jesus, and that's it, and you find that he is a friend. So the five F's of wrestling with God are foundation, frustration, fruitlessness, and then the flip, and then friendship, a friend that will never leave you. Jesus said in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you know Jesus this morning, you have a friend who will always be there with you. And as we go into communion, you get to celebrate that friendship. Man, that's good. And if you don't know Jesus yet, he's not your friend. He's your judge. And he will judge you on the last day if you don't know him. So for some of you, you need to get saved as we go to communion. Asaph finishes the the psalm back at the first F, foundation. I've made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. He lands in a good foundation spot. So as we go to communion, we're going to just run into this reality right, of Jesus' perfect life and his death on the cross. As we go to the communion elements, some of you need to settle your wrestling matches with God. Some of you are going into a wrestling match and you need to build it on the right foundation and you need to confess, God, I've been, I've been frustrated and I've been, I've been fruitless and I haven't, I haven't actually said that you're good. And during communion, I need to say you're good. Some of you are going through really difficult times right now and you're fruitless and frustrated and you just need to confess that as a believer in Jesus, trust me, Jesus already knows, amen? He already knows what's going on. And some of you, you're close to Christ right now. It's a really good season and you're enjoying that flip and friendship. Enjoy it. Jesus is your treasure. Express that. Communion on Memorial Day weekend is the ultimate memorial. We remember that Jesus lived a perfect life and that he died on the cross to give us life and to save us from our sins. So if you're a believer, this communion time is a time for you to remember what Christ has done for you. What a great time of worship. So the musical play, you can go get your elements when you're ready. If you're not a Christian, this, this, this element is not for you. 
you're not a Christian, now is the best time to repent and believe, to believe in Christ as your Savior. So I'm going to pray. We'll have about 10 minutes or so just to reflect on the perfect life of Christ and the cross and his blood that he shed. So let's pray. You'll have time. The music will come. Get your elements. Come back to the chair. We'll partake together. Father, thank you for Psalm 73. God, what a beautiful psalm of wrestling with you. God, some need foundation. Some here are frustrated. Some are fruitless. Some need to flip their mind over to Jesus. And some have already done that to the glory of you. And so God, I pray that we would find you as a friend. That you would be near to us, to our minds and our hearts and our souls as we meditate on the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for his perfect life. Thank you for his death on the cross. Help us to celebrate Jesus well. Give us the strength to do it now. In Jesus' name, amen.